Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 44 of x Lapsed, where it looks like we're sort of kind of wrapping up a uh, story arc here in the pages of Excalibur. Uh, fingers crossed that uh, maybe we'll be able to, I don't know, stay out of Otherworld for a little while, but uh, I suppose that remains to be seen. Uh, we are talking about Excalibur number 6. Uh, this is Excalibur volume 4, number 6, uh, March 2020 cover date. The story is called Verse 6, Watch the Throne. Written by Teeny Howard with art by Marcus Toe. Colors, Eric Archinaga. Letters, VCs Corey Petit. Design, Tom Muller. He gets a uh, credit this time. Head of X is Hickman. Edits, Bisa White Sobolski. Cover price, $3.99 American. Went on sale January 22nd, 2020. Now we open on Krakoa where he is already being brought back to life. So, uh, is this a record? It's gotta be a record, right? I think he was only dead for, like, two pages. Maybe. A page or two. Anyway, Professor X expresses how disappointed he is that Apocalypse abused their resurrectability as a way of getting what he wanted. Now, if you'll recall, Apocalypse needed the energy from his aged bones to power that crystal to do whatever the hell it was gonna do to that gateway to Otherworld. Uh, here, in the storm role of, like, reborn mutant presenter is the uh, similarly newborn weirdo Jamie Braddock. So, there's that. And this won't be the last time we see him today. Info page, and it's a map of Avalon and Otherworld, which, I don't know, is kind of unnecessary in my opinion. Because really, I mean, does it matter what Avalon looks like? This could have been a narrative caption one sentence long, but instead, it eats up an entire page. And also, if I'm not mistaken, it might give away, like... A swerve that happens later in the issue? Maybe I'm wrong, but then again, uh, maybe I'm just allergic to Avalon and have already checked out. Speaking of eating up pages, let's get to our roll call. We got Apocalypse. We got that weirdo Jamie Braddock. We got Morgan Le Fay, Betsy Britton, Shogo, Jubilee, Gambit, Richter, Rogue, and Betsy's bombastically beautiful British brother Brian Braddock. Then, hey, we're back to a double-page spread of cred, so I guess last issue, last episode's issue of Marauders was, unfortunately, an anomaly. But maybe since we have two pages, they could fit Tom Muller on there. Maybe they couldn't fit him in when it was just one, so if that's the case, then I guess uh, if it helps Tom Muller get a credit, I'm for it. When we finally get back to comics content, uh, Morgan Le Fay is battling back the brigades of the White Witch. Did we miss something? Was there like a tremendously boring Otherworld one-shot that I forgot to add to my comics order that month? Do we even know who this White Witch is? Is is it Saturnine? I mean, it almost has to be, right? 
Oh well, it isn't long before Excalibur arrives on the scene complete with Baby Dragon Shogo, and they join the fight. Uh, they proceed to engage with Morgan Le Fay's forces, however, aren't able to put much of a dent into them. Just then, A appears. He reveals that, as a member of the Quiet Council, he's able to be pushed ahead in the Resurrection queue, which explains how he came back so quickly. Maybe a little too quick for my taste, but eh, you know what? Whatever gets his story over faster is just fine by me. He begs Betsy Britton's indulgence as he has a plan for victory that he would like to uh, maybe look into. Betsy tells him she doesn't need or want his help, but come on, you do. Just let him do what he's going to do. And so A tromps over to Morgan Le Fay, who stands her men down in order to listen. Now his plan is Braddock vs. Braddock for control of Otherworld in a duel, so Betsy vs. Brian. And Morgan is actually kind of giddy at the possibilities, and she agrees to the terms. She doesn't think that her Black Knight will, uh, will go down in this fight. We shift to a little bit later on, where Rogue and Betsy are having themselves a chat. They're talking about A's proposition, and basically whether or not Betsy can actually do the thing. Maybe not so much win the fight, but can she kill her brother? Rogue assures Betsy that no matter what happens, she's the hero here. Then, A shows up to interrupt and let him know that the now is the time. Worth noting, Apocalypse is walking with the help of a cane, which is pretty cool. Uh, it's a nice bit of detail to show that maybe he's pushing himself a bit too soon, right? He's not able to hold his full heft up by himself. So, let's get to dueling. Betsy and Brian X their swords and for the next few pages engage in battle. Jubilee, who's flying on Dragonback, asks her son to get them into position just in case Betsy needs an assist. A reaches out to her telepathically and tells her that she is in no way to interfere. But she should still stay close, as A might just have use for Shogo's dragon fire. Oh, and he also claims to have found a remedy for the fire's reality-rending qualities. Uh, remember, it did tear a hole in the very... The very seams of reality or whatever it was. Fabric, that's the word I'm looking for. So, the fight continues, and it's a pretty even match. That is, until Brian gets an eyeful of who's currently sitting on the throne. It's that weirdo Jamie Braddock, who's sitting there like he's trying to air himself out. Now, this momentary distraction is just enough for Betsy to disarm and then run Brian's own sword right through him. She apologizes immediately and attempts to explain that she had no other choice. As the dust settles, A commands Shogo to do his thing, and so it's fire-breathing time. Morgan's remaining forces either scatter or burn, so it's like, I, I guess we're not really paying much attention to that whole kill-no-man law, are we? I, I, <laughs> I feel like every team that we follow in these Dawn of X books are like the lone exceptions to the rule, you know? it's If, if you're all accepted from it, then what's the point of the rule? Alright, so Brian's dead, Morgan's forces are Dunsky, all that's left to do now is bow down to the king. And while we learned last issue, uh, or maybe the issue before that, that Apocalypse had his eyes on the throne, it's here we find out that, yeah, he, he sure did have his eyes on the throne, but it wasn't intended for his big blue butt. Hey, he bows down to the king, King Weirdo I, Jamie Braddock. Now, Jamie's first act is capturing Morgan Le Fay in a cage. She argues she protests this move because she claims the arrangement that they made was that if her knight lost, she'd be allowed to live in exile. 
And Jamie's all, yeah, that's right, but uh, you really don't get to choose where that exile is going to be, so tough noogies. Betsy slaps Jamie in the back of his head and commands that he bring back Brian. When he doesn't get right to it, Betsy, uh, well, she stomps on Jamie's genital region, which is probably something he's used to, like, paying big bucks to get women to do. He eventually relents, or climaxes, at which time he goes about reviving his beautiful brother Brian. Brian wakes up, and he's both shocked and disappointed that his weirdo brother has been resurrected. Jamie's happy that Betsy kept his, you know, his resurrection a secret from Brian like he'd asked her to. He then uses his reality-warping powers to place jester hats on his siblings. You know, really important stuff here. Uh, Betsy and Brian turn to A to ask what he's thinking, and A says it's a no-brainer. Jamie is one of the most powerful mutants going, and his power set and name makes him the logical choice as ruler over Otherworld. And you know what? Just as long as we don't have to visit the place every issue, I could give a rat's ass who they put in charge of it. Now we shift scenes back to Krakoa, and we join Rogue and Gambit, who are having a bath together. They're in a little hot tub here. Rogue, by the way, is back to normal. She's not all apocalypsy anymore. They have themselves a chat about whether or not they're ready, or will ever be ready, to have children. Rogue thought it would be the next logical step after getting married, but she ain't so sure that this is the direction they ought to be going. Gambit, he's cool with it either way, so long as they still get to do it. That's fine. Uh, Back at Braddock Manor, Betsy heads into Brian's room so she can take him back to Krakoa to be with Megan and Maggie for some dinner. She finds Brian sitting at the edge of his bed holding his sword, and this is the Sword of Might. And I have a sneaking suspicion we'll be seeing more of this thing eventually. Uh, Brian's pretty down on himself. He says he failed the Captain Britain test. And if you're familiar with Captain Britain and the Captain Britain test, you know it's uh, where you're supposed to choose either to take the sword or the amulet. And while under Morgan Le Fay's spell, he chose the sword. Betsy consoles him and reminds him that he wasn't himself. Brian laments that whatever the case, that witch ruined his life. He then manifests a brand new Captain Britain costume, which is a really, really cool and striking mix of like his old, his original costume with like his hair out the top and the classic costume. It's a really good look. I like it a lot. Now we wrap up back in Otherworld, where King Weirdo hears the White Witch's forces approaching. He heads down to the lab to confer with A, and we find him conducting conducting an operation or an experiment on Morgan Le Fay where she's gutted and connected to some of those glowing crystals. We have one more info page that I ain't gonna read, and we're out of here. Speaking of being out of here, next episode, we finally, finally, wrap up Fallen Angels, and hopefully we'll never have to speak of it again. But before we get there, let's talk about what we just read. I'm gonna hand it to him, okay? Uh, I never thought they'd be able to give us any sort of resolution in this sixth issue. You know, the Marvel method, six issues, by hook or by crook. And yet here we are. Um, Sure, we had to, like, we had to, like, Mach 5 through A's resurrection to get here, but whatever, right? At least least it's over, right? That said, let's consider the overall pacing for this arc. It was kind of all over the place, no? I mean, this six-issue story here in many ways even defies like the writing for the trade sort of storytelling we get so much build-up so much scenery and it winds up climaxing in a pretty inorganic one-on-one duel and a duel that was largely theater to begin with i mean what was stopping that weirdo jamie braddock from caging morgan lefay while shogo blew fire on the forces from the get-go 
I don't know. I mean, this story is one where I feel like the closer you look at it, the the more the holes <laughs> show. You know, the more holes in it you see. Um, let's look at some of the stuff I like because, despite you know any complaint I have, I actually did like this issue. I didn't think it was bad. I I like the Rogue and Gambit scene on Krakoa, though I will say they made me feel absolutely ancient. Because uh, they referred to themselves as being young and feisty back in the long ago. And uh, I remember those days. And I, I didn't know that they'd age so much in the interim. But I, I guess they did. <laughs> that makes me feel very, very old. Now, it makes sense for Rogue, or I guess anyone really, to worry about having children. Now, that's a normal, a normal fear, a normal bit of trepidation that I can get behind. Uh, personally, I'd like to keep Gambit and Rogue childless. But then again, I prefer as little change as possible anyway. I'm pretty much barely coming to terms with the fact that Rogue seems to have control over her powers, you know? Uh, For so long, she was pretty much defined by her inability to touch and be touched. I gotta ask, when did this happen? When did this change occur? I want to say I was still reading when it happened, but damned if I could pinpoint when it was and how it came about. I, I don't know if it was within the past few years, or maybe it was like the tail end of my of my, you know, ongoing reading, and I just forgot about it. But I do not remember this being a thing. Is, is that... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if she's wearing a uh, some sort of inhibitor. I mean, there are, there are damn sure are enough of them in this uh, Dawn of X world, but uh, I don't think that's the case. So if anybody out there remembers, please feel free to let me know. Educate me. Uh, one thing, though. About Rogue here, she doesn't seem all that affected having just killed Apocalypse. I mean, whether she was tricked into it or not, she actually used her powers to take a life. Uh, I figured she'd at least take a moment to examine that and maybe reconcile that. I don't know. I, I mean, we're we're treating death so strangely in this in these books here, where like we understand that the stakes have changed, and this is something that I've said dozens of times already. But uh, you're still, if you're killing someone, you're still killing someone, right? Even if they're going to come back, you're still ending a life for a time. You're putting someone through something that, uh, you know, people shouldn't be put through. I don't know. It just feels like since the stakes have changed, we all value these lives so much less, you know? Um, I don't know. It's like, I really don't know. I, I, I don't like how lightly... They're taking lives here, even though, I mean, even though lives and deaths are are pointless, relatively speaking, in this book, I still don't like the fact that they're, uh, they're so glib, and uh, they really don't, they don't stop and think about it, is what I'm worried about. Uh, Now, Jamie, for as gross and as weird as he is, he has this sort of charm to him. Uh, I can't help but kind of like him. And I wouldn't mind seeing a lot more of them, so long as it has nothing to do with Otherworld, which uh, I guess pretty much means that I'm out of luck. Uh, Apocalypse, he is still probably the most interesting and the strongest member of this cast. And uh, outside the outrageously dull grimoire info pages, I really enjoy what they're doing with them. I'm intrigued and excited to see you know, what his endgame is and how it plays out. Uh, for the past you know, six issues, he's more or less been playing chess with the rest of the cast, which to me is probably the best way to utilize him because he is so powerful. And uh, 
I mean, he could wipe these guys out, but he's using them for his own means here, and I like that. This is good stuff. Uh, really, the only bits of this that I that I like didn't care for were the parts wrapped up in otherworldly lore. Um, I think if we can ever get to a point where Excalibur could just like hang out on Earth, <laughs> I really come around to liking and, and maybe even championing this book. Uh, I'm enjoying these interpersonal scenes that we're getting. I like seeing Rogue and Psylocke talking. I like seeing Rogue and Gambit together. I'm liking, you know, Jubilee and Apocalypse talking. I, I, I like that kind of stuff, but it's all this other world stuff. Uh, I, and I mean, I know that we're going to have some other world stuff in the, uh, the X of Tens event, so I'm not... I know it's coming back. I just don't know how soon it's coming back. But uh, hopefully we get a few issues where maybe we're just... Uh, maybe, you know, Betsy and, and her friends go to the pub or something. Or maybe they fight... I don't know. Maybe they find some leftover Reaver or something. I don't know. Just give me something that is another world, and I'll, I'll be okay with it. Bring bring back TechNet. You know, get the Warwolves in here. Do some actual Excalibur stuff. But uh, I guess, you know, I guess we'll wait and see on that. Overall... I'm happy that we got, like, a measure of resolution here for this opening arc. And outside of knowing full well that Otherworld isn't going away, I'm somewhat optimistic to see what's to come. But I think that's all I got to say about Excalibur number 6. But uh, before we go, we have a very, very short mail segment here. Just one letter from Damien. And he's talking about Fallen Angels number 5. Damien says, You established reading my feedback on this episode that my sense of humor is quite dark, and I have to let you know that I find these episodes hilarious. I was genuinely laughing out loud at your comments. I'm not sure you picked up on all the subtleties in the story, so I just wanted to make sure you were aware that Betsy Braddock used to be in Quinnon's body, and that caterpillars turn into butterflies. And, uh, yes, I, I believe that's going to be on the test. I th- <laughs> they're mentioning it an awful lot here. Yeah, the uh, Fallen Angels is, uh, I don't want to say it sucks, but uh, <laughs> it's something else in it. Uh, thankfully, we only have one more. Um, but yeah, they, they're really driving home a lot of this poetic sort of uh, purple nonsense here with everything's about caterpillars and butterflies and... Uh, we can't, it seems like we can't go, not even full issues, we can't even go a handful of pages without Quanon mentioning that she still, you know, feels Betsy in her body, and it's just too much. I mean, Quanon is very much a one-dimensional character as it is, and all we do in, 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 in this repetition, all we do is, is like put that in concrete, right? It's like... We're not giving this character a chance to grow, a chance to evolve. It's all about butterfly imagery and the fact that Betsy was in her body. That's it. I mean, maybe they're trying something new here with this Apoth thing, but the fact that so much of it is informed by the fact that we have worms and butterflies and Betsy's body, it's way too much. Way too much. Damien continues, Talking of subtlety, did you notice how they justified the book title by calling Bling and Husk angels? As subtle as a hang glider flashing and... I... I must have checked out. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> I don't... I, uh... I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't notice that, but yes. That is uh, fairly blatant. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, I think Husk, she's kind of used to, like, something along the lines of a hang glider flashing. If uh, I'll go back to, you know, pull out the old chestnut that... I'll remind everyone here that she and Warren Worthington banged in front of her parents in midair. You know, that's, that's up there with uh, caterpillars turning into butterflies, Betsy was in Quinan's body, and Husk and Angel banged in midair in front of her parents. So that's there. Uh, Damien wraps up with, Still can't believe that they published six issues of this. I haven't read the last issue yet, but it clearly has little to no impact as I've read Quinan's appearances in X of Tens, and she doesn't appear any different weird and yeah i mean this is this is up there with like some of the most pointless stuff i've i've ever read as part of like a shared universe or a a line you know line of books we already saw in the in x-men number five uh x-23 is back she's just back and she's in her wolverine outfit it's very very strange that uh What's happening in this book is not being, it's not being reflected, which makes you, you know, beg the question, why are we even bothering with this? Unless this sixth issue is going to establish that Quanan's sword is in some way special, and that's what gets us to Exitens. I, I don't know, it's like, but that seems like, I mean, six issues, 20 pages of pop, we're at 120 pages, give or take. All to say that, hey, this sword that Betsy, or not Betsy, Quanan has, is important. It's going to be one of the ten, if that's even the thing that's going on over there. I don't know, it just seems like uh, we're taking the scenic route. And it's a, uh, it's actually like if you go, if you go for a ride in the country and you take the scenic route, and like the most interesting thing you see is a cow. You know, that's not very interesting. I, you know, I don't need to see a cow in real life. I know what cows look like. So it's a, it's a very boring scenic route is where we're, what we're going through, through here. And, uh, I mean, we are just about to read the sixth issue. That's going to be the next episode of this program. So maybe it'll totally blow us away. Maybe it's been hiding in, it's been hiding in the bushes for five issues, and then it's going to just leap out on us and blow our minds. We gotta hope, right? We gotta have hope. Otherwise, why are we even bothering, right? So we'll, we'll keep positive thoughts, and <laughs> we will uh, hope for the best. But uh, thank you so much for writing in, Damien. I, I definitely appreciate you listening to Fallen Angels Day. <laughs> the proud, the few. And, uh, and I appreciate uh, you, uh, you enjoying my attempts at levity during this episode, because uh, this is one of those you gotta laugh or you'll cry sort of things, so... Thank you so much. Um, now, I think that's where we'll, we'll end it for today. Uh, so if anybody would need to or like to get a hold of me, you could do so at Ace Comics on Twitter or at WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find the show notes and the stuff at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com, xlaps.chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com, Facebook, 90sXmen, chrisandreggie.podbean.com for the audio archives, and hey, if you, if you see me anywhere, you know, sharing these shows here, and if you're if you're enjoying what I do, hey, maybe share it out. Maybe uh, help me uh, help me propagate this program throughout uh, all different avenues. So I would very very much appreciate that. Uh, getting some some new eyes and ears on this uh, on this little project that we've been uh, this little journey that we've been on together. So that's where we'll leave it for today. Uh, just one more giant thank you for everyone taking their time to listen and, and write and uh, sharing your time with me. If it's a uh, 
If I'm on your commute to work or walk through the park or uh, wherever we are together, I very much appreciate it. So, till next time, thank you, and I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh